0: Lucas's story is so cool, and I want to share that with you, and, and I'm going to read something he wrote as well. But uh, So back in May, um, Lucas visited our church for the first time, and he told me he was a college student at UNF. Uh, his family lives down in the Miami area, and so he moved up here for school. And he told me he had pretty much been an atheist most of his life. And so he started searching for answers about a year ago, And I'll read more here in just a second that he wrote to you. But I connected him uh, that day. I reached out to the Baptist Collegiate Ministry, which is, we call it the BCM. Uh, If you're not familiar with them, you need to be. The Baptist Collegiate Ministry here in Jacksonville is incredible. They are awesome. Uh, They meet here on our campus every Tuesday night in our Family Life Center. So dozens of college students come on our campus every Tuesday night uh, from UNF and and other schools in the area, and they worship, they have Bible study, they're discipled, it's really incredible. And so I connected him with them, and he went, (laughs) and he went that Tuesday night. So two days after coming here for the first time, he was bold, and, and he went to BCM that night, and I got a text later that night from their leader at the BCM that Lucas put his faith in Jesus Christ to be his Lord and Savior that Tuesday night over in our Family Life Center. Amen? Some of his friends are here today uh, from the BCM, and I just want to say thank you guys. You guys are awesome. Uh, Thank you so much for just investing in Lucas's life. I know he is eternally grateful uh, for each of you and your friendships to him. So I want to read something that Lucas wrote about his testimony. Here's Here's what Lucas said. He says, For most of my life, I have been an atheist. I lived in ignorance and hatred while surrounding myself with false idols such as my social status. Throughout this past year, I had natural revelations and I was shown historical proofs which whittled away at my unbelief. This eventually led me to do something I never thought I would do, go to church. The loving believers I met led me to embrace Christ and be saved. I now recognize Jesus as our Savior, and I want to walk with him for eternity. (laughs) Lucas, we are so excited for you. Um, I know Lucas has plans to join our church through our Discover Kernan new members class Uh, next month. He's excited about that. And we're excited to have you, buddy, in the family of God here at Kernan. Uh, And I just want you to know that we will be here for you, man. We we want to support you. We want to love you and encourage you and disciple you uh, in however we can. So we are here for you. This church is here for you. Amen? Amen. Well, Lucas, in accordance with the great commission of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I hereby baptize you, my brother in Christ, Lucas Grave, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Raised to walk in newness of life. Woo! <laughs> Amen, buddy. Well, if you have your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 42 through 47 as we're continuing uh, the second week in our series called Community. So we are looking at the biblical definition of what community really is, why we crave it so much, and what it should look like in the life of the church. So we're going to read uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and then I'll pray for us and we'll dig in. So Luke writes in Acts 2, describing the first church in the first century, he says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are grateful that day by day, you add to your kingdom all around the world, that you will hold us fast. That the assurance we have in you, we can truly claim that it is our story, it is our song, because of how great you are and how committed you are to your people and to drawing this world to yourself. So, Lord, I pray that as we talk about community today, as we think about our story, our song, as a church, would you show us through your Holy Spirit what we need to know today? Would you show us your truth and would you give us great grace to help us understand this? It's in your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, like I said, we're, uh, we're continuing our series uh, called Community, and uh, j- I just want to set the record straight. Today's sermon title is not quinoa, all right? Some of you are like, what is quinoa? I don't even really know how to describe it. It's kind of the hipster version of rice, okay? Uh, but anyways, this is, a, <laughs> this is a Greek word called koinonia. Koinonia, and Uh, As many of you know, the the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. And so it's really helpful sometimes to look at specific words uh, in that ancient Greek language that are used right here in the scriptures, as we're going to see. And sometimes it's really helpful to look at those words and really kind of break them down into what the full meaning of those words are. And so koinonia means, in the ancient Greek and in our English translation, it means fellowship. Or you could say it means participation or sharing in a common goal. You know, that's really the perfect word for us to use in talking and describing God's design for his people, for the church. A participation toward a common goal, a deep fellowship. We are called as the people of God to experience that kind of deep fellowship together. Now, listen, if you grew up Baptist like me, uh, when you hear the word fellowship, you probably think of a planned event on the calendar at church, specifically with a lot of food, more than you ever should eat, right? In something we call the fellowship hall. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. That's right. But koinonia, fellowship, is not that. Well, It's partly that, but it's so much more than that. It really brings definition, this word, to our English word, community, as we are using it here in this series. You know, we believe in this word. Our vision statement here as a church tells us, and notice here how how much emphasis we put on that word, Kernan exists to glorify God by making disciples who do three things worship with authenticity walk with the lord right walk in community and witness as we go in other words the second structure the second pillar of that statement is that we want to be a church that walks in community in other words we want to become a church that walks with the lord but we do that together we do that hand in hand, arm in arm. We walk with the Lord together, not alone. So last week we talked about why we crave community so desperately and so badly. And when I say we, I mean all of humanity. All humans, Christian or not, we all crave humanity. Why? Because we are created in the image of a communal God. And what I mean is God himself as a Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there is one God. God himself is a community of love. And we being created in his image means that God designed us to be relational. He is relational. Therefore, in his image, we are also to be relational. And we talked about how we incorrectly search for that type of community in our lives in this world to fulfill that longing inside of us we search in all the wrong ways, when ultimately, the only way to really fulfill that desire in us, to have deep communion with somebody, is with God himself first. But secondarily, it's with his people, the body of Christ, known as the church. So today, I want us to take a deep dive into the real Christian community. We're going to look at really three aspects of what that means. The bond of Christian community, the function of Christian community, and the impact. So the bond that holds us together, the function, what we're supposed to actually do, and then the impact that has. All right, so number one, let's talk about the bond of Christian community. Look back at Acts 2, verse 42. So Luke says this about the first church. He says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and that's koinonia, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, one good question is, who is they? Who is he even talking about here? Who are the people this passage is talking about? And why are they sharing their lives together in this way? Well, if you go back a few verses in your Bible to verses 37 and 38 you see some clues or you see a description of what was going on. In verse 37, he says, now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now, let me set the context real quick. So this is after Jesus ascended into heaven. All right. So now he has left his disciples with this great commission, this mission to send his gospel message around the world. So you've got just a few, right? You've got just a handful of his followers left in Jerusalem. And so Peter stands up and he preaches. He is preaching to the Jews there in Jerusalem about the true Messiah, about Jesus Christ, who has come and lived and died in their place for them. And that the only way To heaven is not through them just abiding by certain religious systems or impressing people with your good works. The only way to spend eternity and correct your communion with God is going to be through faith in what Jesus has done for you already, not what you can do yourself or what you can prove to others. So Peter's preaching this gospel message and they look at him and they say, what do we need to do? I mean, we've been cut to the heart by this message. We realize that our religious schemes don't work. We realize that we need a relationship with our God. What do we do? And look what he says, verse 38. Peter said to them, repent. That means to turn away. Turn away from whatever you were doing that you thought would save you. Turn away from that and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 41, if you look down, it says, so those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I mean, even Billy Graham, I don't know what, I don't know, but like this is crazy, you know what I mean? 3,000 people came to know the Lord that day. So the summary, I want you to see how great this is because the summary of what we just read in verses 42 through 47 are describing 3,000 brand new Christians. And these people's lives are now immediately heading in a different direction. Religiously, but also socially, relationally. Can you imagine some of the hard conversations some of those people had to have when they went back home? Their lives, their whole, their whole lives and their families have been sent around the Jewish customs of, of years and years of religious traditionalism. And then they come home and say, you know what, I put my faith in this man named Jesus. We actually crucified him a few weeks ago. Remember that? They come home and now they they have this different life. And so we look at this description and we say, what could bring so many people together like this? Only the gospel. Romans chapter 6, verse 5, Paul says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. That's what we saw in the baptistry today. It's a symbol of us being united with his death, but we're also united with his resurrection. So that means we have new life now. So when we turn away from our sin and we turn to Jesus instead, in faith, we become united with him for eternity. But you know what that also means? It means that we become united with each other. It it means we become brothers and sisters. We become a part of the family of God, the church. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 12. Verses 12 and 13, he says, For just as the body, our human body, is one and has many members or many parts, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, it doesn't matter. And all were made to drink of one Spirit. You see, the blood of Jesus is what unites us and actually makes us one. We are adopted into the family of God by grace through faith, and we now share the same blood. We are truly united and bonded together. You know, I I think sometimes we, we, we just think too much of that truth on paper. Like, yeah, I mean, we've got filing cabinets in the church office with probably 2,000 names of people who've joined this church over the years. So on paper, that all sounds good and fine, but I want us to understand that this is not on paper. This is real. This is a real uniting power by the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside all of us. In Acts chapter 2, it was, it was mostly people of the Jewish religion at that point in history in the story. But if you keep reading in the rest of the book of Acts, you know what it shows us? It shows us that the growth of the gospel continued into this, and it kept expanding and people started believing and it kept reaching out, right? It kept expanding and this movement just kept going throughout the Middle East and into Europe and into Africa. And you know what it was doing? The power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ was uniting people from all different backgrounds the rich and the poor the socio economic outcast different races different ethnicities only the gospel could do that around this world nothing else in the world has that kind of power to unite people but you know occasionally in our culture we'll we'll see something or or we'll think of something that and we're like, man, I, this, is, this looks so good. This is almost like heavenly. You know, the Olympics were on just a couple of weeks ago, and, and uh, Christy and I were, were watching. We, we really got into it this year. I don't know why. But, uh, I mean, it's fun, right? It's fun. And, and so we were watching the Olympics. And also, you know, man, when did everything become an Olympic sport? I mean, really. It's like kind of crazy. But anyways, uh, so they're doing all these kinds of sports I've never even seen before, but it's interesting and we're watching it. You know, and, and all the countries, and the, the opening ceremony and the, and the closing ceremony, they all come together kind of around the Olympic torch. And for just a split second, for just a moment, you kind of think, yeah, man, this is powerful. This is almost like worshipful in a weird way. All these people from all these different tribes and languages and tongues, Coming together. But you see, things like that, they're so temporary. And ultimately, on the, underneath it all, there's no real bond. It's just surface level. It's just surface level enthusiasm. There's nothing really holding those people together. But the church of Jesus Christ has been held together by him for over 2,000 years. And it still is trucking on. Why? Because there is a real eternal bond between us and God and each other. And nothing, nothing can stand against that. That's the bond that you see in Acts chapter 2. That's the bond we have in our church today. The second thing we see here is the function of Christian community the function of Christian community. Look at, look at verse 42 again. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So they devote themselves to kind of two big things, right? The teaching. So they devote themselves to learning about God through sound doctrine from the Scriptures. But they also devoted themselves to the fellowship. And that's the koinonia. That's the aspect we're talking about, right? This was the context for real discipleship to take place. It was in that close-knit community that they learned about God, that they learned about how to pray, that they learned how to partake in the Lord's Supper. It was in that close-knit community together that they learned, you could say it this way, how to love God and how to love each other. But you know, One reason they were so devoted to God and each other is because the early church, man, they needed each other. They really understood how much they needed one another. Now, that was largely in part because of the persecution that they were experiencing just for following Jesus. They were experiencing actual physical persecution. If you read on in the book of Acts, you know what you're going to see? Not just a couple of chapters later, you're going to see a man named Stephen stoned to death for preaching the gospel of Jesus right there in the middle of the city. Just They stoned him. And then you're going to see, you're going to see Peter and John arrested and beaten. You're going to see Paul beaten and arrested numerous times. You're going to see the followers of Jesus being physically persecuted just proclaiming that he is truly God. So do you see how they really needed to band together? They needed each other. You know, in today's world, I think too many of us, there's such a great disconnect for most of us, especially in America. Too many of us don't think we really need the fellowship of the body of Christ. Our Christianity today Just to be honest with you, it's too individualistic. It's kind of too easy, honestly. It's it's too neatly prepackaged and customized to our personal preferences. We come to church if we feel like it. We get some good tips, maybe some good motivation for the week, and then what do we do? We go back to our private lives and try to work it out. But that is not... That is not how God designed the koinonia of the church to function. That's not how he designed his people, his body, to live. This deep devotion to community discipleship. And when I say community discipleship, I mean basically everyone seeking the Lord together. Everyone growing in their faith together. You see, that was the context for God's design for the church then. And it is no different today. It's his design for us now. Dustin Willis is a Christian author and pastor, and in his book called Life in Community, he wrote this. He says, The gospel is the driving force to our transformation, and community is the context where the greatest growth and revolution takes place. It's in the church that actually God designed for your faith to grow. Now listen, absolutely, you should go home and you should do your personal time with the Lord. Yes, but it's not either or, it's both and. We should spend time with the Lord, with our families at home. We're going to talk a lot about that next week. But we should also crave and realize that we need each other in the body of Christ. That God's design is for us to to talk things out in our community and, and to, in our groups, to talk things out, to pray with one another, to serve one another, to bear one another's burdens, to take a meal to somebody if they've been sick. It's all these things collectively that provides the context for our faith in Christ to grow in a healthy way. We need each other. Verses 43 through 46 kind of describe the aspect of community discipleship with more detail. So I want us to look at those verses. This is how Christian community is supposed to function. First of all, with awe. With awe. Look at verse 43. It says, Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. In other words, their souls were captivated by Christ's love. They were truly in awe of how great their God was and how powerfully he was working in their midst. God was affirming this new movement in the first century with signs and wonders through the apostles because you know what he's doing? He's saying, these are my people. These are my people and this is real. So for a temporary time, he did these things so the church just would stand in awe. They would stand in awe and amazement at the power of God working in their midst. Their souls were captivated by the grandeur and the magnificence of Jesus, which led them to function not just with awe, but also with generosity and selflessness. They functioned with generosity and selflessness. You see, only when you stand in awe of how good God has been to you, it's only then that you can freely treat others the same way without hesitation, without reservation. Look at verses 44 and 45. You see this. This is just a great, beautiful summary of the generosity and the selflessness that the gospel brings in our hearts. Listen to this. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. There was no needy person among them. The church provided for one another Because they loved each other so much. Why? Because the love of God was so supreme in their hearts. They were so grateful for all that God had given them, they could not help but give it away to each other. They shared their lives together. The gospel gave them that generous, selfless mindset. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. But did you catch that? Jesus said, just as I have loved you, that's how you're supposed to love each other. Now that's a big statement because how has Jesus loved us? He gave up everything for us. His love for us is sacrificial. It's willing to lay down our preferences. It's willing to lay down our pride and in humility say, I want not what's best for me. I want what's best for you. I want you to experience the love of God that I have experienced. I want others to feel it and see it. And you hear that in Jesus' words. And then you look at our church and you have to say, man, how can we do that? How can we love each other as He has loved us? Christian community, you see, it's really just a reflection of the love of God for us that we are extending to one another. And so that brings us to the third thing we see here in terms of the function of the community. It's with all, It's with generosity and selflessness. But you know what else? You can't do all that without being close to one another and consistent. It's with closeness and consistency. Look at the rest of the passage there in 46 and the first part of 47. It says day by day, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. You see, their involvement and interaction with each other was a part of their daily lives. It was a part of their daily lives. They didn't just see each other once a week at church. Their devotion to the Lord and each other kind of dictated their schedules and their priorities in their lives. That's how much they cared about the church, about each other, the body of the Lord. So look what they did. Attended worship together. They attended worship together. They they hung out in each other's homes. And and doing all that magnified and strengthened the bond that they already had in Christ spiritually. You see... This kind of closeness and connectedness and consistency, it builds trust among ourselves. It develops glad and generous hearts. That becomes the mindset. Glad and generous hearts becomes the theme of the church when we are close, when we are consistent, when we're gathered together at the table around the bond of the Lord. It builds trust among us toward one another over time. You know, uh, Christy and I, my wife, we've been watching this documentary on CNN called The History of the Sitcom. Now, let me tell you, that's how you know you watch too much TV is when you start watching documentaries about TV on TV, right? (laughs) It's just where we are right now, okay? Okay. But it's been super interesting, it really has. Like, it's really insightful because it it just, it's showing and painting a picture of the historical kind of evolution of all the funny sitcoms on TV and how they're all centered around this idea of togetherness, right? And and so over the years, it's been different kinds of things like family sitcoms, like kind of started with Leave It to Beaver, right? Uh, Or a workplace sitcom like The Office, Or just a bunch of friends, right? Sharing their lives together like Friends, right? Or Seinfeld. And and what do you see? In all of those different shows, they all have this common denominator of closeness, consistency, togetherness. You could say community. They love each other, right? They would do anything for each other. I may or may not have cried on the last episode of The Office, okay? First time I watched it. It's funny, though, isn't it, how we get so attached? We get attached to those TV characters. As I heard an author say, I think it's because we kind of want what they have. And that's all great. That's all good and fine. But the place we should see this the most in our lives is in the family of God, in the church. But here's the problem. If we distance ourselves from one another, if we distance ourselves from others in the church, then we either aren't aware of their needs or we don't know them personally well enough to really care. So we must seek through whatever means to be close to one another and consistent in our efforts and to get to know each other inside the church. So I want to talk just practical for a minute. How do we do that? How's, what's the best way to do that? I mean, we have busy lives. Everybody in here, I know. We have busy lives and our, our schedules are full to the brim. Do we really have time for this idealistic, uh, idealistic biblical community idea, pastor? I mean, come on. You're preaching with your head in the clouds here, buddy. Like, do we have time really for this? And I just want to say this that I think if you really want to do something, you'll make time for it. I'm all for church doing more fun events here on our campus. Yes, that's fun, and we do that. Yes, we, we need that corporately so we can all mingle together, absolutely. But, but you don't have to wait for the church to plan an event for you to get to know somebody else in the church. Right? You can hang out with them. You can invite people over to your house for dinner that you don't know that well, that go to church here. Maybe you've been sitting on this side and you've been sitting on that side for 20 20 years. You're like, I see that person, I say hey to them in the foyer, but I've never really talked to them. Talk to them. I mean, really, it's that simple. Invite people to your house, have have your community group over to your home, or or go out to eat with them, or do something fun with each other. Go to Top Golf and just completely embarrass yourself, right? That's a great icebreaker. Whatever it takes. Because here's the deal. It's not just about hanging out because it's not always going to be fun and games. When life hits you hard, you're going to need to know who you can pick up the phone and call in the middle of the night when you have no one else to turn to. But if we're not close, if we're not consistent, if we're not generous, and we're not selfless, you're not going to have that person. That's koinonia. That's what we see here in Acts chapter 2. And the final thing we see is the impact of all of this. The impact of Christian community. Look at the end of verse 47. It says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. <laughs> Jesus said in John 13, verse 35, he said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. <clears throat> if you have love for one another. He says, this is how people will know. This is how people are going to know that your faith is not just wishy-washy or a big show or you're just trying to get a bunch of people together for some kind of movement. No, 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 no. This is how people will know that you have surrendered your life to following me and loving me and loving others if you have love for one another. You see, the world outside these walls is watching The church. They are watching us. They are observing how we live. And a big part of our impact that we can have on our community, our city, and our world, if we want to see the gospel spread, one of the huge, biggest factors of that is how well we are loving one another. If they see us loving one another. Too many people in the church today, and I'm speaking generally, not Kernan, I'm just saying, the church as a whole, around the world, have an aversion. Too many people have an aversion to the church because the people in the church either can't get along or argue over silly things or or they just don't know each other and, and there's no close-knit fellowship among them. So why would, why would an atheist? Or not even that, but just why would a good-hearted person who is religious but doesn't attend church, why would they want to become a part of something like that? I wouldn't. But when they see a community sacrificing their own desires and preferences for the betterment of each other, the watching world doesn't even really see us. You know what they see? They see Jesus. They see the love of Jesus imaged and reflected in us if we love one another. So I want to kind of end on a practical step and that's by asking you, what's your next step? What's your next step to be more involved in the community and the life of Kernan? For some of you, it may be salvation. Maybe you've heard this message today and you've realized that You're not in communion with God himself. And the good news is that the Lord is standing and waiting with his arms wide open, ready to forgive you, no matter what you've done or where you've been or where you are now. If you turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus, he will forgive you of your sins. And you can enter into a sweet, eternal communion with him forever, today. For some of us, or for some of you, maybe it's joining the church Maybe you've been attending here for a long time and you just had to wait long enough to see if I was going to freak you out or somebody else was, and I get it. (laughs) But maybe now's the day. Maybe now's the time to take that next step and sign up for our new members class that's going to happen at the end of September. Maybe for some of you who are already members here, maybe the next step is kind of a recommitment in your heart, just kind of a recommitment to the Lord and to each other to seek that real community here, that that koinonia we've talked about today. Maybe that means joining a community group. Our community groups meet at 9.15 every Sunday morning. And that's kind of the structure we have here at Kernan so that you can get to know people and you can really share your lives together in that koinonia way. There's other outlets, but that's really the best one. May we truly become a church. Whatever your next step is, may we become a church that walks with the Lord. But let's do that, not just by ourselves. Let's do that together in community. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I'm so grateful for, for you saving me, just for loving me and bringing me into the family of God. Lord, I don't deserve these things. Lord, none of us deserve to be known by you. None of us deserve to be a part of an eternal family with a great inheritance waiting for us. But Lord, you were despised and rejected on our behalf so that we would never have to be, at least eternally speaking. That we would always be known by you. Lord, I pray that that common bond we all share by your blood would motivate us, that 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 would be our motivation today. The gospel that we all share. We're we're so different. Lord, if we look across this room, we come from different backgrounds, different social statuses. Praise God for that. That in this place, Lord Jesus, we are one. We may leave this place and the world may define us in different ways. But Jesus, when we are in this room, we are united by your blood. We are one. So Lord, may the blood of Jesus, may your blood be what motivates us to love one another, to seek koinonia among ourselves. I'm grateful, Lord, for your grace. May we extend it to one another in every aspect of our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing here in our church. We love you, and we thank you for it. It's in your name we pray. Amen.